Hello, Ted. Yes. Are we being recorded? Yep, this will be another episode of The Great Reset with Stephen uh, that I put on our okay, podcast. Okay, give, give, give an intro, recap what yeah. we've been talking about. Well, Stephen and I have been talking about uh, various things about The Great Reset, uh, particularly around the issue of reconciliation and diversity, actually. And so you and I just had a brief phone call about we want to make sure that the Great Reset doesn't become just an intellectual analysis or, you know, worse yet, just a critique of how other people are doing things. Uh, the things we want to really focus on is looking to Jesus and lifting up Jesus as the center and focus of everything we're doing. We want to be more, uh, continue pushing the envelope on being authentic and vulnerable, that these are issues that we are wrestling with, not things that we figured out that we're trying to impose on other people. And then uh, the last bit was about, can we think of ways to invite either panelists or guests from different perspectives and additional diversity in order to uh, keep us moving forward on the edge? And then I think the other part that you mentioned was about really, uh, you know, wanting to do what Jesus did in even greater things, including speaking to not just the present moment, but things that will resonate for other audiences. And, and, and specifically, I mean, like the, the passage in John uh, 14, uh, is it 10, uh, where it says, if you believe, whoever believes in me will do the works I have done and even greater works than these. Yeah. But our signature, you know, you look, you analyze Jesus and you know, that was one of the things so sweet on our call today that came out. You know, you analyze Jesus like turning water into wine. I mean, what a powerful illustrated sermon. <laughs> but it was a special effect. He actually did it. <laughs> yeah. So here's an interesting and, question. Uh, and, is, okay, go ahead. Oh, and the, the point is only Jesus could do that. And that's what he's pointing to, to say, this is what differentiates me. If you can't believe my words, look at what I've done. Look at my words. Sorry, we're, we're, I was actually unclear. Are you saying you agree with the fact that only Jesus could do that? Or actually you disagree with the fact that only Jesus could do that? Oh, I mean, I agree with the fact that differentiated Jesus from everybody else. Uh, and he was the only, mm. you know, everyone else could talk and only he could demonstrate. And now... We can do it in his name, but there's things you can only do in his name. So, so yeah, I don't mean it's exclusive as in it cut it off and he never wanted it to do it happen again. Um, but I definitely mean that was the signature. You were Jesus. If you could, you know, that all of his opponents couldn't demonstrate. That's why they hated him so much. You know, they'd be fighting an argument and they'd be arguing theoretically and then he'd feel a guy with a crippled hand right in front of everybody. How can you argue against a guy like that? So, but I believe we are supposed to do what he did. Like, they, they, they should say only a follower of Jesus can do that because there is miracles. There's no other explanation. It's God's divine touch. His hand doing what only God can do. Yeah, so let me, let me flip that around a bit. What is the thing that we can do to further Jesus's mission? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. You know, these signs will follow. Well, so and yeah, I so let me, like, 
I, well, okay. So I, I don't have a problem with any of that, but I think there's lots of, let me be more precise in my question. There's lots of people in the body of Christ who are focused on those things, especially in our charismatic circles that we hang out, right? Um, yeah, I, what think, is, I think I think to like like I think that okay, the people that are focused on that to the extent that they're actually getting results, and I'm not a skeptical guy. I believe there are many miracles, but I also think there's a whole lot of both hype, like there's not transparency and there's not honesty of what's really happening. Okay, and then two, there's a whole lot of religious lingo, like what the heck are you talking about? Can you speak English? You know. And I, so, so I affirm the emphasis upon it. That's something that has been neglected from the stream of, of Christianity, like, like I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also see the need for clarity, balance, humanity, you know, vulnerability, transparency. You know, like but, we claim so many things are a miracle that, that, I mean, everything's a miracle. I mean, you know, I mean. Right, I yeah, see, but I mean, yeah, there's people you know, who. Like, like watching, who, watching your baby born is a miracle. Right, but there's people who read more into a situation than the evidence deserves. And it's not, it's not, you know, we're, we're not relatable. It's not, I think we need to talk about it in more normal language, like best practices, you know, results, work. Yeah, let me, let me pick up on something you said, Ted, because I thought that was actually very powerful, is that the clarity, accountability, and transparency. Because I think the reality is not everyone on the call is, is you know, signed up for praying for the dead to be raised, right? That takes a certain level of faith. No, but I, I would disagree with that because, because it depends on who died, you know, like the dead to be raised. That's the wrong way of framing it. So I just said that in a quick way, you know, okay. like. But like I can share about my friend whose wife was just diagnosed with terminal cancer. Everybody on that call is going to be highly motivated to pray. We'll all be at different levels of faith. But when I say I'm going to pray for her to be healed, because medically there's no solution. Medically, all they're going to do is manage her life and probably make it worse and extend her misery. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pray that God intervenes for his glory. And this is why. They're all going to agree. We're going to agree, and we're going to stretch our faith to agree at that moment. Mm-hmm. To me, that's one of the things of presentation. Like we, we've got to, you know, you believe they're dead to be raised, you know, and he's got, you know, the charismatic preacher's got a chip on his shoulder, and he tells the story of something that happened 50 years ago, you know, and then he shares about, and his whole point is in shaming you to show that he has more faith than you do. Right. Which. I prefer other guys I know who, you know, will actually tell you about the person that was dead and that was raised. <laughs> right. And also admit the person that they prayed for who was dead and stayed dead and not uh, whitewash yeah. the, the story. So yeah, I can tell you yeah, about I, the I, people I, I, I prayed for. Yeah, there, there you yeah, go. One, so there, I, you can make me very yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. Oh. So I think there, you know, I, I think that that to me is the thing that we can do unusually right is that we have this public forum where we are accountable and transparent and follow up on that i mean there's a um i don't want to just i mean like i i'm okay i think i think i can see there's a healthy way to incorporate more of that into the event into our one hour long call um but like does that mean that you're going to follow up 
and share what happened with the friends that you prayed for, for their messy divorces? Well, on messy divorce, I got to be sensitive because, you know, I mean, you're not you sure know, names, about what I can share. I, I, you right. know, and, 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 yeah, uh, but I'm, like, I'm trying to think of like, what is, is and let me just share what I'm reacting to just because uh, I have this, I've had this dynamic before where every communication channel ends up becoming a vehicle for prayer requests. And then yeah. every vehicle for uh, prayer requests becomes one. very <laughs> self-centered. And so that, that you, Oh, uh, I love you, Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there, done that on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I'm trying to figure out, like, I want to add that in a way that's additive to the things that we're already doing and experiencing and refines it without uh, confusing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's all a balance, you know, it's all a... <sighs> It's all about it. It's all, you know. Yeah. But I mean, me, I, me... what I was hearing before is I have mm -hmm. this paradigm, this belief, mm -hmm. um, like reconciliation. I believe that when we get it right, we will see the demonstration through power. Like, so, you know, like mm. we went, uh, we went to uh, Argentina. And uh, I worked very, very hard for that. We brought a delegation from a global delegation of indigenous leaders. So, um, and we went and we had reconciliation in various places. And uh, one of the places we went was to Salta in Northern Argentina, which had a, uh, 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 I think they're, 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 well, it was affecting the economy. They had a three year drought going on. Um, you know, we had a beautiful reconciliation service. It's really, really powerful. And we prayed for the drought to end. And sure enough, it ended. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> you know, uh, I see that. I expect it. And I feel like, oh, wow, if we haven't, you know, like, like maybe if the drought didn't end, we should get back. And go back to the Lord and say, okay, what are we still missing? You know, it's a different framework of looking at it, you know? Yeah. And I, so I believe like, okay, this is the way I interpret the, the five loaves and fishes. The, the, as soon as the boy gave, as soon as one person agreed with Jesus and took all, gave a hundred percent, you know, like if he really agreed, he'd give his whole lunch, not a portion of his lunch. You know, the disciples could say they agreed that Jesus could heal him, but there is no faith there. You know, they're, 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 they're thinking in the natural. And as soon as he gave a hundred percent of his lunch, the supernatural power was released to demonstrate a sign. Right. Yeah, there was there was a great line from the guy who did the chosen uh, when he was at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, someone sent him a verse that your job is not to feed the five thousand, your job is to provide the loaves and fishes. Exactly, and if the so 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 how I mean it's two sides. One, we can't carry that burden. We can't go around stressing ourselves out because we have to feed five thousand. We need to go around like the little kid, just in awe of Jesus. But then, having said that. When he says feed the 5,000, our question needs to be, 
I must not have given him all of my loaves. I must be hiding a loaf. How do I give him that loaf that I'm hiding so that he can multiply it? You know, like we should have an expectation of something to happen. And if that thing doesn't happen, you go back to the drawing board and say, okay, tell me, what, what am I yeah. missing? Right, I try to tell my kids this. is like when you pray, when you pray for something for God and he doesn't answer, you should ask, okay, why? Like, was I asking for the wrong thing? Was I, uh, do I need to keep asking? Do I need to stop asking for that? Um, you know, and treat it more as an iterative experiment rather than a ritual. Exactly, exactly. You yeah, know, so maybe, yeah, have so expectations, actually... have in it, in it, you know, in the, this paradigm, this way of viewing has to be central. Like this is part of the great reset. This is one of the central things. You know, his presence demonstrated by his love, his love and his power together. You know, it's not just love that makes you feel better and gives you a tap on the back. It's love that changes your situation. Yeah, I, lose you. I love that picture of Hassad as uh, love as power. Um, the um, I think the title of this episode might be iterative experimentation because that's what we're trying to do here is just like, keep like, iterating. Like, you know, on one of what the guys God I, wants us to do. One of the guys I was deeply influenced by was Carlos Anacondia. Have, have we talked about him before? Do you know who he is? Uh, what, what was his role? He was the evangelist, the revivalist who opened up Argentina. Probably the most effective, probably the most effective evangelist of our generation. Wow, he was older than us. He's seventies in his seventies now. So I mean, still there? You know, and then they did crusades in the ghetto because nobody wanted to sponsor them. And then it was a few years after that that they had their first major crusade in La Plata, where a 10-day crusade was uh, extended and extended and extended until it was 100 days. And at the end of 100 days, in a city of 200,000, I think 80,000 people had made a public decision for Christ. And when he shut down the crusade, because they'd go every night, um 100 days straight he told them you know so so the people who got saved the crusade became their church and he said all right we're moving on to the next city go to a local church so you had a church with 60 members have 200 people brand new converts hungry for the lord on their doorstep one sunday just you know and then he goes to the next city and does the same thing incredible incredible guy um, he's still going strong. You can you can look him up. Um, but um, you know he so I mean he 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 was, he was about miracles. I mean his style was very unique. He'd get up and he'd preach for a very you know he'd, he'd pray. They'd pray, and uh, he wouldn't get up on the platform until he felt the Holy Spirit say now's the time. And he'd get up and he'd share a 15-minute message. He'd share a story of what Jesus did. Then he'd share a story of a miracle that uh, had happened to somebody right there, you know, the night before. 
and he'd say, this is what Jesus did then. This is what he does now. Jesus is here at this altar. If you want him, come and get him. He's here. And they would just flood the altars. The spirit moves so powerfully. Um, anyways, that's who Carlos Anacondia is. I was blown away. I just loved it. And uh, I remember one of his messages where he was preaching. And it's like, he was talking about how Jesus is going to change your circumstances. Jesus will do everything for you. If you're sick, Jesus loves you. He'll heal you. If you need money, he'll take care of that. You know, he was just preaching such a, you know, like, like I felt like, man, this is, he's promising too much. <laughs> and I felt the Lord just, uh, you know, have me reevaluate that. Maybe you know, maybe he knows something that we didn't know. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, his, the people who got saved at his crusade stay saved. Became disciples. So I, I think I'm talking to the wind. Are you there, Ernie? You haven't? Did I lose you? Hey, lost. Nope, I, I'm, I'm muted. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah, okay, you, did, okay. you did lose me here and there, but yeah. So I think the real question is, so I, I admire people like that. I can ex trust that they have heard from God. Um, but you and I both know that just copying that is not necessarily oh, no, doing I can God's point will. To, I, can, I can go introduce you to the people who've copied him. And I, well, I can tell you to the people who are his disciples who've copied him extremely, extremely well. And I can tell you the people who are Carlos Anacondia fans that are just Pentecostal, you know, ineffective people. So yeah, yes. it's 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 right. it has to be translated, and you have to copy the essence of it, and not just the form. Right. So I think that the the thing that I my heart is is I want people to see where they are at, wherever they are, whether they're you know standing in front of crowds, whether they're you know staying at home watching the kids, that they have that same passion and vision for how God can transform their context and their world in a way yeah. that transforms themselves and ties into the bigger picture of what God is doing, right? So I think that's where I think the, um, what gets me excited, right, is not creating a thousand people are gonna go around doing stage ministry and performing miracles. I mean, God bless them, you know, we need people doing well, that. And, and, and the whole stage ministry performing miracles, I mean, it, it, we look at it now, it wasn't that. I mean, he was, yeah. he was, he was pioneering, he was just yeah. inventing it as he went along. Now we look yeah. back and we wanna copy the forms. Um, well, and we don't copy them very well too. I mean, he, yeah, he, but, was, but yeah. he was extremely innovative, yeah. Right, yeah, but the point is that, is that when I look at it, the way I would translate that is to say, uh, I'm in a context. God has put something on my heart. How can I step out in great faith and pray great prayers and also take wise risks to uh, push the boundaries of God's kingdom, invite people in, Right. And, and that's the thing I want to, maybe the, the, the translation part is actually what I'm most excited about, is trying to talk about when we're in business, when we're in our families, when we're dealing with politics, how do we have that same mindset and faith and risk? 
as a uh, as Carlos did. And because because I think that one of the things that I'm definitely reacting against is that great courageous faith and miracles is something that happens in a church like religious atmosphere, right? Uh, you know, you and I both know people who are really doing things like that in the marketplace, right? Where they're well, building and businesses and, and serving customers. I'd love, to, I'd love to analyze that because a lot of times the followers make the person they're following quite different than what the person really was. You know, I mean, Anaconda was a businessman. He was not a product of the church. Um, he was so entirely outside of the box. I mean, literally, they weren't in church. He, they took over church because they were outside church. Crusades, yeah, he maybe had a bit of a crusade model. He didn't know anything, though, you know. They just no, figured it out as they went along. Right, but, you know, like so. even the stories that you tell, right, we focus on the, the, the public performances that we saw because that's how we interacted with them. But I want to, you know, I remember I heard a Martin Luther King or Martin Luther King video and what struck me is I'd heard all about the speeches and the letters and things like that. But what really blew me away was it talked about his training system of how we would have black men go into a, a cafe and then have white actors bully him in order to teach him uh, to practice self-restraint and nonviolence. And that's what blew me away is that anyone can give a good speech but it's really hard to build a system to train people. You've heard the saying that we rarely rise to the occasion. We usually default to our training. And that's one of the things that, you know, that that, that kills me about church is we train people to sit there passively and, and let someone tell them what to think. And then they feel good about having been told it. And then once they leave that room, they context switch and they forget everything. Right, is that how do we make this something where we are training people how to live vulnerably, vulnerable lives of great faith? And how do we tell the stories and live the stories that show people how that works in the home, the classroom, the marketplace, um, like that? And also come up with a and you know I mean this is my, me uh, wanting to intellectualize it, but how do we give people a worldview where they see that that is just as important as the guy on the stage in front of thousands? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. The whole the training system, man. The other the other thing that's super inspiring of the civil rights movement is the um the way they trained the lawyers, you know, some of the best mm. lawyers of our nation. Because they, you know, what was it? Thurgood Marshall was part of that. Oh, there's Frida. All right. Hey, um, you know, I, they basically told him, oh, one second, Frida, I'm wrapping up a call. Uh, they basically told him, you know, you're, you're, you're 10 feet, you, you know, you're, you're negative. You're starting, you're starting with three strikes against you. They're not going to listen to anything you say. They've already decided because of your color. And now you have to, overcome that deficit you're going to have to be three times as good as your uh, opponent just to be even and they said so your training here is going to be more rigorous than (laughs) than than in the courtroom and uh they rose to the occasion wow 
Well, no, but, no, but, but, but they train. You say they didn't just throw them in there and tell them that was the expectation. They actually gave them some training. Oh so no, I'm saying it's rise. a school. It's a law school that they they that, that he was mm. a part of that they founded the Black Lives Law School. The professors were were just brutal. Um, right. Training because them. they were training um, them because, for the for the because war. they were yeah. training them to go and win cases, and that's what they did. They changed all the laws because they won case after case after case after case. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's, a, that's a great question for next week, is what does it look like to actually train people to live this way? All right, we'll leave that as a question hanging in the air. All right. and I well, got to go back to work. You got to go to your next meeting. Lord, I bless Ernie, anoint his mind, Father, and uh, we just give this all before you. Lord, use us, Lord. Amen. All right, blessings. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.